Revelation for the adult class in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, the church of Sardis. The church of Sardis. The church that has a name that it's alive, but it's dead. It's got a reputation for being alive, but it doesn't live up to its reputation. And I don't, definitely don't want to be this church. Praise God. Because I think out of all of them, this church is the more deceived church. It's got a lot of activities, you know. It's got a lot of programs. It's, it's got a lot of wealth in it. But the Lord looks at it in the midst of all that activity that's got going on and all the wealth that's there. And he said it's dead. And so and it's, it's a church that's pretty much self-deceived because they think that they're alive. In fact, they say they are alive, but they're dead. And so this church to me is the mo more serious out of all the churches, praise God, uh, really, uh, in the book of Revelation. Chapter 3, verse 1. If you have that, say, praise the Lord. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect or complete before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you right now for your awesome word today unto us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you will give us direction and understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. To get started here, I'd like to go over here to this chart and point something out to you. Basically, on this chart right here, if you look at this chart, you have, of course, the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and his ascension, and then the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, on the day of Pentecost, which started the church. God started his own church on the day of Pentecost, around 30 A.D. or thereabouts. If you look at this timeline, the church age is seen between these two yellow lines. Do you see this? This right here is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost is right here. And according to this chart, the rapture of the church takes place here just before the seven-year tribulation period. This is the seven-year tribulation period right here. The second coming of Jesus is seen, of course, following that seven-year tribulation period back to the earth. He sets up a thousand-year kingdom age. There's a new heavens and a new earth that are created. The new Jerusalem from God, uh, comes down from God out of heaven. All right, so you see the timeline here according to this chart. But if we look at it, and I'm doing this for a reason, because as we look at Revelation 2 and 3, okay, if, if you look at this chart, Revelation 2 and 3 fits in here. 
okay? But if, and that would be, of course, a pre-tribulation rapture viewpoint just before the tribulation, the church goes out. Okay, but if it's post-tribulation rapture right here at the second coming of Jesus, and we've talked about the parousia, the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation period, destroys the Antichrist, then, of course, the church is gathered up to him. All right. If it's post-tribulational then, what I'm trying to show you is that the church age is not seen here. The church age is seen from here all the way to here. Okay? Which means that the events of this tribulation period right here can be seen in a glimpse in Revelation 2 and 3. Okay? Things that the Lord is saying to the church in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are events that are related to this time frame also. So it shows the church in the tribulation period. And this is one of those churches. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Okay. Pre-tribulation rapture would be right here before the tribulation ever starts. Post-tribulation means the church goes through the seven-year tribulation and is caught out at the end of that time. And so the church would be seen here, which means this. The church would witness the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath. The church would see the Antichrist rise to power. It would see all of these events that are associated with the tribulation period. Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots, the false prophet, the mark of the beast, 666. The church will be on the earth when all of that's taking place. Okay? Having that in mind, this is going to be a very powerful chapter. If you look at this chapter, the Lord says unto the angel of the church in, in Sardis write, the angel would be the messenger of the church or the pastor. He said, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. So the focus there then is upon the Holy Ghost. Because there's really not seven spirits of God. Do you understand? When you say the seven spirits of God, you're talking about the number seven speaks of completion or perfection. So its focus is on the Holy Ghost and the perfection of the Holy Ghost or the completed work of the Holy Ghost. The uh, sevenfold working of the Holy Ghost is seen in Isaiah 11 and verse 2. Now, that's one way to look at that verse. It's the completion of the Holy Ghost. Another way is that there are actually seven angels. Or seven spirits. When he says, uh, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. It could be the seven, maybe seven angels that are in front of his throne. It could also mean the seven angels of the seven churches. But because he, it also says here that he's got not only the seven spirits, but the seven stars. We know the stars, the Bible has already interpreted for us, are the seven angels of the seven churches. So anyway... That's three possibilities. Seven angels, or it's a picture of the fullness of the Holy Ghost, or it's a picture of the seven uh, angels of the churches, pastors. With me there? I tend to look at this as the Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2 fulfillment. A sevenfold working of the Holy Ghost, okay? You read that sometime. I don't have time to do that today. But the purpose of this, the focus is upon the Spirit, Say the Spirit. See if I can get this thing working right. 
Amen. Okay, brother, get ready. I may need to use this mic. We'll see how it goes. Okay, are y'all with me at this point? But he tells this church these things about himself, that he has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Then he says, he says, I know your works. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. This church is a ritualistic church. It is the picture of religious men. This is a picture of professors of Christianity, but not true born-again believers. These are the people who have a form of Christianity. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof from such turn away, the Bible says. They got a lot of activities. They've got a lot of programs. That's not the problem with this church. The problem is they have basically become secularized. Which means they pretty much just settled in with their, uh, the world of their day. Okay, they're secularized. You understand? They have a name that they're alive, but they're dead. They've got a reputation that they're a church. They call themselves a church. They call themselves Christians, but they're dead, the Bible says. He goes on and he says, he says that I have not found your works complete. Which means this, that they have started in the direction of God and truth. But they haven't gone all the way with him. And to me, this is a perfect picture. We've talked about Catholicism in these chapters. But this is a perfect picture of Protestantism. In fact, the word Sardis means those escaping. So I believe this is a picture of those who have escaped Catholicism that we've already looked at. They have come out of Catholicism. And so they've started on the road to truth. They've come out of Babylonianism and bell worship type mixture in the church. They've escaped. They're Sardis. But they haven't gone all the way. They're, the works are not complete. They they're, uh, have a profession of faith. But they're really not God's children. They're not born again. Do you understand? They're not the seed of God. And to me, America... Fits into this really big time. Because there's churches on every street corner just about. And they've got activities. They've got things going on. They've got programs and everything else. What has happened is they have become social institutions. And they are not alive unto God. They are dead. They, they started out. You know. They came out of Catholicism. They they believe that the just shall live by faith. So like Martin Luther coming out of the Catholicism. But they haven't gone all the way and got filled with the Holy Ghost. And so hence, the focus is upon the Spirit of God here. Evidently, these people don't, haven't been born unto God because they're dead. They're not spiritually alive. So they haven't received the Spirit of the living God in them. They haven't been born again. Now... For most of us, we've all, we've all had a taste, for most of us, of Protestantism. In fact, I was raised in Protestantism. Protestant, to be a Protestant means you're protesting the Catholic Church. And I was raised in Protestantism. 
And most of you were Protestants. You were a part of different denominations. And you went to church, some of you, okay? You went to church on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, you live like the world. You are no different than anybody else in the world. You are a sec secularized Christian. You were a social Christian. You went to the big church in town that had all the programs, and it was, you know, popular to be a part of that particular assembly, possibly. Is this coming home to you now? But Monday through Saturday, you were anything but a Christian. You lived your own life. You did the same thing that everybody else did. You went to the same places that everybody went to in the world. You were no different. The only difference was that you just happened to go to church on Sunday and got yourself pacified, made yourself feel good. I went to church today. But you were not born again unto God. You were not living for the Lord. You were not serving Him. You know, He was like just a, maybe a little portion of your life rather than being your life. And so you had a reputation that you were a Christian, but you were dead spiritually. You didn't know God. And so, and before I talk about all those denominal churches out there, let me talk to you. You can have a name that you are Pentecostal. You can have a name that you're alive unto God. You can have a, have a name, you know, that you belong to Him and have that reputation. But even as a Pentecostal, you can be backslid sitting on the pew. You can have a name that you've been born again unto God, but be totally dead. Don't even know him. So we're not just talking about the denominal world out there. We're talking about ourselves. So they had a reputation, man, of have it going on. But the Lord comes in there and he says, you're dead. I don't want that in my life. I don't want the Lord. I don't want to have the reputation that I'm alive. But then the Lord came to me and say, especially on Judgment Day, nah, you're Sardis. You had a reputation that you were alive, but you're really more a social, carnal Christian than you were a spiritual Christian walking with Him, full of the fire of the Lord, all right? I don't want Him to look at me and say, your works were not complete. And so He says this, verse 2, He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. That are ready to die. He said what you do have. Now this is interesting to me. He said you've got a reputation that you're alive but you're dead. But then he says oh well you're not completely dead yet. You're dead in the sense that you're not born to me. But you're not dead in the sense that you, you can't come to me and get life. And there are some things that you're doing right in your church and if you don't hold fast to even that you're going to lose that do you understand even so hold fast what you got so that what you have doesn't die you hear with me now so he says be watchful now this is very interesting because this this place this church in ancient history was a church that fit perfectly into the society of their day and what I mean by that is this is that 
in secular history, this city called Sardis was on a very high mountaintop. Had cliffs all around it. And it looked at itself, you know, with all of its wealth, a wealthy city, high up on a mountain, cliffs all around it. It looked at it as, as itself as a, a place that could not be conquered. See, they had confidence, but it was overconfidence. We can't be conquered because, look, we're way up here on the top of the mountain. We've got cliffs all around us. We've got great wealth, and so nobody can capture us. They should have been on the watch, though. They should have watched more carefully. Because two times in history, this place called Sardis, that you would think was impossible to be conquered, was conquered. Twice in history. One time by the Persians. The Persians looked out and they saw they were watching the city. And this soldier's helmet fell off and it rolled down the cliffs of the city. And they watched the Persian army, that is, watch this soldier of Sardis go down the cliffs of the city, grab his helmet, and go back up into the city. And that, as they watched him go down and go back up, they found the passageway into the city of Sardis. And so while Sardis was, you know, overconfident and unexpecting to be attacked, Persians watched the way to get into their city, and they scaled the same area that the soldier had scaled, and they conquered Sardis, and they defeated Sardis. They weren't watching they got overconfident. They didn't stand guard. And if that wasn't enough, later in history, Antiochus came and also conquered Sardis a second time. So they didn't learn from the first time. And so what God is telling us today is this. And the church that has a name that's alive but is dead is to be watchful. Be on guard. Don't get overconfident. Don't walk around acting like that you've arrived. That you've got it made. That you don't have to worry about the enemy. That you don't have to watch anymore. That you don't have to pray anymore. That you don't have to fast anymore. That you don't have to stay full of the Spirit anymore. That you've got it made in the shade. And you can just kick back and, and, and be like this church. And the Lord tells us, he said, no, you need to be on watch. You need to be on guard because the enemy wants to scale your cliffs and come into your city and spoil your territory. And take what you have. If you're not really alive unto God, he wants to take what you do have. So the Lord tells him, he said, be watchful and strengthen God's telling you today, man. See, some of you, you've lived for the Lord for a little while. Okay? And as you live for God, the temptation is to kind of get lax. Hear me this morning. It's, it's easy after you've lived for the Lord for a while to just kind of get, well, okay, whatever. You know, sort of nonchalant about, the, about your Christianity. 
We are no longer on guard. You're no longer fighting the good fight of faith. You're no longer watching. You're no longer praying. You're no longer fasting. You're no longer staying close to God. But you're starting to do things in the world that's taking your strength. You're starting to watch television programs you shouldn't watch. When you first came to church, you knew it was wrong to watch that and you wouldn't watch it. But you've been living for the Lord for a little while and now you feel like you're strong enough to handle that. And so you're watching things you're not supposed to be watching. You're letting things in your household that shouldn't be in your household. And so what you're doing is you're letting down the guard. And you think, man, I'm spiritually strong enough to handle that. I can watch that. I can listen to that. I can read that. I can go there. But what you fail to understand is you've got to be on the guard. You've got to be on the watch as you live for the Lord with time. There's a temptation to become, you know, sort of apathetic, sort of I don't care. When you first came into church, you were on fire. You were at every prayer meeting. You brought your tithes and your offerings and you were committed and you were dedicated to God. But with time, you, well, I don't really need to pray anymore. I don't even know if I need church anymore. Ah, why, why should I give anymore? Why should I witness anymore? What good's it doing me? And your guard's coming down. And your watch is coming down. And the enemy wants to come in and take everything you got away from you. He wants to take any spiritual life that might be there completely away from you. You've got to be on guard because the devil wants to take you down. He wants to destroy you. And how do I know that? What I'm telling you this morning is true because I am like you. And if I'm not careful, I will let things in my life that should not be in my life. And then I wonder when I go to church why I don't have any power, why I don't have strength, why I don't have confidence in the Lord anymore. It's because I have slowly let my guard down. I'm not watching anymore. And slowly but surely... The things of the world are creeping into my life and taking what I do have. And so the Lord tells us today to get on the watch. Get on the guard. He tells us to repent this morning. Stop being overconfident. Stop being, you've got to, you've got to be like a soldier here. You've got to understand you've got to keep fighting. You can't ever quit. You can't ever stop fighting. Because when you stop fighting, the devil's going to take you down. The moment this nation lets its guard down, that's when it gets hit. This nation has to stay on guard 24 hours a day to make sure that terrorism doesn't enroll our nation and bring it down. The moment it lets itself down, guess what? That's when the nation gets hit. And you've got to be on guard and you've got to be watching and you've got to be praying. You've got to understand what's going on. Whenever those things try to come in your life, those enemies of your spiritual walk, those enemies of your relationship with God, when they come in your life, you've got to be able to say no. You've got to say no, 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 you're not coming in my city. I'm not letting pride get a hold of me. I'm not letting an ego get a hold of me. I'm not letting the world get a hold of me. I'm not getting my flesh take over me again. But I'm going to watch and I'm going to strengthen my walk with God. I'm not going to get weaker. I made up my mind to get stronger. 
See, today, either I'm getting stronger or I'm getting weaker. And I don't know about you, church, but I hear the Holy Ghost talking to you today. Tell you to strengthen what you got. Don't get weaker. Don't get passive about this thing. Get stronger in your faith. Stronger in your commitment. Stronger in your dedication. I have literally told people in times past... I said, what you've got to do is you've got to get in here and you've got to start serving the Lord more than you are. You've got to give yourself to the Lord more than you are. You have to become more dedicated because if you don't, what's going to happen is you're slowly going to lose your strength and pretty soon you'll be out there in the world. You'll become secularized just like the church of Sardis was. And so they've lost their impact. They've lost their influence upon the world because the world has got in them. And it is true we're supposed to be out there in the world reaching the lost. But we're not supposed to let the world inside of us. We're supposed to be on guard watching, making sure the world doesn't get in here. Doesn't take our holiness. Doesn't take the truth that we have. Doesn't take our walk and our commitment away. So the Lord tells you today, watch and strengthen the things that are ready to hallelujah you know and I know for the most part we've got a reputation that we're alive you know we've got a reputation that we're on fire for God but hey I don't want just the reputation I want the reality of it I don't want him to look at me you know here I'm thinking well I'm doing pretty good you know break break my arm trying to pat myself on the back and the Lord walks in our church and says, oh, yeah, yeah, you got a name, you're alive, but you're dead. You stop watching. You stop guarding. And because of that, you're becoming more and more secularized. You're starting to think like the unbeliever. You're starting to act like the unbeliever. You're starting to live like the unbeliever. Oh, come on. I hear the Holy Ghost. And y'all are wonderful people, but the Lord's telling you today, man, you got to stay on guard. You got to stay on watch. I know he loves us, and I know he loves his church, but I'm telling you, we got to stay on guard. Because we've got some enemies, the world, the devil, and your flesh. And it doesn't take all three enemies to bring you down. All it takes is one enemy to bring you down if the world don't get you the flesh is going to try to get you if the world and the flesh can't get you then the devil's going to try to get you one of those threes can bring you down the world the devil and the flesh you've got to be on the guard against the world you've got to be on guard against your flesh and you've got to be on guard against the devil and if you get overconfidence are y'all awake look at the secular world Look at boxers. Boxers. You know what? They have victories in their life. Some of them undefeated. I'm telling you. And then all of a sudden, they look at this guy and say, eh, he won't be no problem. And so they let down their guard. They let down their watch. They stop training as hard. They stop. They're not as focused as they should be when they get in that ring. And guess what? One punch, boom, and they're on the ground. And they wake up shaking their head. What happened? I can't believe that guy just took me down. See, they got overconfident. You look at it. You look at it in any area in the secular world. You look at it. 
Look at sports. People get overconfident in sports. They fall to the team who has the worst record in the league. Do you understand what I'm telling you? And so, yeah, God might have used you, and you might really be powerful in God. But, friend, it can change if you lose you. If you get overconfident and lose your understanding that you've got to stay on fire, you've got to keep praying, you've got to keep pushing, you've got to keep training, you've got to keep serving, you've got to stay dedicated. Anybody getting this message this morning? And I, I think if, if anything can be preached to this church, this one can be. Because we have seen some victories in our lives and victories in this church. But if we're not careful with time, we lose our light. We lose our testimony. We lose our witness. We lose our life. See, you know, it's easy. It's easy to be on fire for a month. It's easy to be on fire for a year. It's easy to be excited about the Lord for a couple years maybe. What about five years from now? What about 10, 20 years from now? If the Lord doesn't come, what about 25 years from now? If we see your life 25 years from now, will you be more on fire then than you are now? Or somewhere along the line, you just kind of got, you know, carnal and lukewarm about your faith? You should be ever increasing in your power and strength. You should have more power and more strength today than you had a year ago. If you don't, then you are backsliding away from him. And so ultimately, he's telling this church, don't backslide. Don't backslide. Strengthen what you got. Strengthen. Strengthen what remains. Are y'all hearing this today? He said, because if you don't strengthen what remains, even what remains is going to die. Hallelujah. Now, let me, let me help some of y'all. You're going to notice sometimes that your brothers and your sisters are really not where they should be. And so what, how do you relate to that? You might even get the feeling that, man, well, man, I'm just a little bit too crazy. I'm too radical for this faith. You know, my husband, he don't really care. My wife, she don't care. Doesn't seem like my brothers and sisters care. But you know what? It's not about what they do. It's not about what mama, daddy, brother, sister, daughter, son does. It's about where am I today? See, I've got to stay on fire. I can't let that world get a hold of me. The weaknesses of others will destroy you if you don't walk close to God. And so you look at and you see people, man, they should be on fire. They should be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they're not. And so it discourages you. But God tells you to strengthen what remains, lest it die. But they don't go to church all the time. They don't pray all the time. They don't fast. And they don't give their tithes and their offerings. It doesn't seem like they're hurt too bad. In fact, their church is getting bigger than ours. But that's not what's important to God is are they spiritually alive unto him are they committed and dedicated watching are they on the guard in the last days 
Ask yourself this morning, are you getting stronger or are you getting weaker? Are you getting more dedicated or getting less dedicated? Come on, man. Hallelujah. You can look at me. You can look at me with that look all you want to. You know, that dumb look. Well, you're not talking to me, Pastor. Well, if I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. If you don't need to be shaken, I do. If you don't need to be stirred, I do. If you don't need this message, I do need it. So just indulge me as I preach to myself this morning to tell myself to watch and be on guard. Let me preach to myself this morning. And let me tell myself to strengthen what remains. Lest what, I, what remains die. If it's not for you, it's for me this morning. Telling you, man, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not where I need to be. But you know what? That's not going to be an excuse that I use. I'm not going to use it as my security blanket. Well, I'm just not where I need to be. That's an indictment against myself. That means repent. That's what that means. And it don't mean, you know, 20, 30 years down the road. It means right now. Hallelujah. Is it back there or is it up here? It's up here. Let me get this handheld mic. Okay, you ready? You have to readjust the cameras. Get watch the volume real close as I'm going along here, because I'm going to get volume at times, and you have to make sure it's right. Okay, don't just set them and walk off. Be sure and make sure they're right. Are y'all with me today? Okay, let nothing stop you, man. Church, the Lord's calling you up. He's calling me up. Hallelujah. If Sardis fell two times in history because they didn't watch, the Lord's warning us, you can fall if you don't watch. You can fall if you don't guard what you've got. Hello, friend. You are in a war. You are in a race. You have got to learn to be disciplined. You've got to learn to say no to your flesh. You've got to say, okay, flesh, you want me to do this? And I don't really feel like praying. I really don't feel like going to church today. But you know what? I'm going anyway. I'm going to get my carnal, carnal self up out of this bed. And I'm going to go to church. You can't go by what your flesh tells you. You can't be carnal. Your flesh is going to tell you you're too tired to pray. Your flesh is going to tell you you're too tired to go to church. Your flesh is going to tell you all kinds of stuff. Just because your flesh tells you that, does that mean you're supposed to give in to that flesh? I had a pastor ask me this question. He said, well, he said, am I supposed to preach things that are not in the heart of the people? He said, it's not in their hearts. 
I said, it doesn't matter if it's in their heart or not. You are commissioned by God to sow the seed. And God puts the responsibility after that seed has been sown upon the soil that the seed's been sown in. You can't just stand back and not preach the word of God because, well, it's not in their heart. It better get in their heart. They better repent. They better receive that word or God's going to judge them. But if you don't, God's going to judge you because you're playing games with them. You're afraid of people. You won't tell them the truth. You've got a reputation you're alive, but you're dead. And I realize we're in America. And people just, you know, it's hard for them to swallow this kind of message. But this doesn't come from me. This comes from your Lord and Savior. This comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. And you're going to go by your heart. Well, it's not in my heart. You're going to let your flesh control you and dictate you? You're headed for sure destruction. He said this. He said, I've not found thy works perfect before God. You haven't arrived yet. You're not complete yet. You just started. I just started. For me to think that I'm already there and I'm arrived is to find myself in this Sardis church. Is everybody okay out there? He said, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast. Look what it is. He don't say he's going to do it for you. He doesn't say he's going to do it for you. He doesn't say your brother's going to do it for you. He doesn't say your pastor's going to do it for you. He puts it solely in the individual's hands. To watch, stand guard, to hold fast. To strengthen that which remains, to overcome, he puts it in each individual's hands. You can't sleep for me. I've got to sleep for myself. You can't eat for me. I've got to eat for myself. You can't drink for me. I've got to drink for myself. You can't overcome for me. I've got to overcome for myself. You can't repent for me. You've got to repent or I've got to repent. I can't repent for you. You've got to repent. I can't pray for you. Do your prayer for you. You've got to pray that prayer. I can't worship in your place. You've got to do your worship. I can't fast in your place. You've got to fast in your place. Nobody can do it for us. You hear this? He said, hold fast and repent. He puts it in my hands. He puts it in your hands. He tells the pastor, the angel, the message to deliver. And then he says to those who've heard the message, you have to do something with it. We love to play the game. We love to cop out. We love to point the blame finger. But the Lord puts it us in our hands individually. 
to be alive unto him. Mm. Can you imagine people stand before God on judgment day and say, Well, Lord, I didn't know that was even in the Bible. It was your responsibility to know it. I didn't know I was supposed to get baptized in Jesus' name and get filled with the Holy Ghost. That's an excuse. You were supposed to know it. You got the same Bible I got. You got the same book I got. You are responsible to know what's in the pages of this book. I can't read this book for you. You got to read it for you. I can preach the word of God, but I can't make you do it. I can't force you into obedience. I can't force you into dedication. I can't force you to pray and to fast and to give. I can't. But I can tell you what God requires. And then it's your responsibility to be there. Give God some praise in the house. It's your responsibility to be a walking revival. We are to never have a revival come from the outside to us. It's never by bringing in a big name preacher that we have revival. We should be walking revivals ourselves. We should be on fire, full of the Holy Ghost, alive unto God. Not just in name, but in reality. And so, he puts it in the individual's hands for responsibility. He goes on, he says this, he says, If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. I'll do the same thing that the Persians did to you in history. I'll do the same thing to you that Antiochus did to you in history. When you didn't watch, I'll come on you as a thief. Now, in case you don't know that, we've already talked about this. That the thief and night coming of the Lord is connected with the day of the Lord, which is post-tribulational. So he says to this church, he says, my coming to you is going to be like a thief in the night coming, which is a day of the Lord terminology. And it's post-tribulational. This church is in the tribulation. I said, this church is in the tribulation. And he said, if it doesn't repent, he said, I'm going to come on them as a thief. Oh, yeah. Thou shalt not know what hour I will echo upon thee. The word heko or heko is again connected with that final coming of Jesus in the ultimate sense. So he places this church in the seven year tribulation period and he says, if you don't repent, I'm going to come on you as a thief. The day of the Lord's going to fall on you and my wrath is going to fall upon that church. See, God's wrath is going to fall upon the unbeliever. God's judgment's going to fall upon those who are just professors. God's judgment's going to come upon them. His wrath, the day of the Lord, is going to fall upon the carnal Christian. Are you getting this point? And it's going to happen at Heko, his having arrived. It's a word that means he's already arrived. He has already physically returned. And that's his second coming. And that's post-tribulational. This church needs this warning. You need this warning today. What if you go through so much in life, so much disappointment in life, that you get into despair? 
And you look at the answer as just being carnal and giving up. A lot of people start going through great suffering and trial and testing. And they give up. Because they say, well, I wouldn't expect it to be this hard. I wouldn't expect it to be this difficult. I didn't know I was going to have to be that committed. And now it's really getting hard. And people just give up. So the Lord's warning you here. You need to be the true elect of God. You need to be the faithful elect of God. People that have a walk with God that can stand the test of time. People who have a walk with God that can stand the test of trial. People who have a walk with God that can stand the test of temptation. People who have a walk with God that nothing in their life will hinder them from living for the Lord. And the enemy loves to come and talk to us and give us all these excuses as to why. It won't stand in judgment day. What are you going to say to him on judgment day? It was just too hard. Too difficult. Go through too much. Cost too much. The price was too great. You think God's going to say, oh, well, well, come on in my heaven. Come on in my heaven. I understand. He does not understand. You ever heard people say, he understands. He understands why I couldn't go to church that morning. He understands why I couldn't go to church that night. He understands why I couldn't pray. He understands why I couldn't fast. He understands the situation. No, he doesn't. He went all the way to the cross for us. He paid the ultimate price. You understand? And so he says, very, a very solemn warning. He said, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. I'm going to come when you don't expect me to come. Well, pastor, if it's post-tribulation, wouldn't I be able to calculate the exact moment? No. You won't be able to calculate the exact moment. Now, hold on to this, because I'm going to show you something very powerful. This is the fifth church in the book of Revelation. And I'm going to show you something that's going to blow your mind. Because all fives lay on all fives in the scripture. And if you go to the fifth seal, watch this. Okay, let me read something before I go there. He says this. He said, You come on them as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even as Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Watch this. Go to, chap, go to Revelation 6. Let's look at the fifth seal. The fifth seal. This is the fifth church. The fifth seal. In verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Which they held. Hold fast. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood? Say our blood. On them that dwell on the earth. And white robes were given unto every one of them. These people were faithful unto death. They were committed and dedicated to to death and because of that they are given a white robe that's the same thing Jesus says to the fifth church and 
and when you talk about their souls being under the altar, that speaks of fire. Hang on to that. Say fire. Now, let's go back to chapter 3. Verse 5, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his life out of the name of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Do you got to hear this morning? There were people that were so faithful and so dedicated to him that they laid down their life. And if you're willing to lay down your life for him now, you will have abundant life. If you will lay down your life for him in the future, if it need be, you will have eternal life. Because the white robe speaks of a most holy place, intimate relationship with God. It tells us what we can have now if we'll lay down our life now. And it tells us what's awaiting us in the future if we lay down our life physically then, if need be. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you here? All fives lay on all fives. Go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. See, that's why I took the time to go over here and to show you that this church doesn't end in here, but the church is seen over here in the tribulation period. That the church of Sardis, he talks about a thief of the night coming upon them at his heckle, his coming, and it's the second coming. So that church is going right through here, which means many of them who were faithful and overcame they died, they were martyred, lost their lives, and because of that, they were given white robes. And that's the same thing the Lord told this church. If you can't run with the footman, if you're having a hard time now, what are you going to do? When the horsemen began to ride. What are you going to do when the Jordan begins to swell? If you can't make it now. What are you going to do in the future? Tell me. When they're going to come and take you and possibly behead you for your faith in Christ and you can't even pray and you can't even walk with Him and you can't live for Him now you will not die for Him then if you can't live for Him now nor will I I am not talking to you as some superman here I am talking to you I'm talking to you as a man who needs to strengthen that which remains I'm talking to you as a man that needs to overcome the world the devil and the flesh because if I can't live for him now I'm not going to die for him then stop playing the game If I can't live for him now, when I got a church and I've got a pastor, you know, encouraging and exhorting and preaching the word of God to me, I can go to church and nobody come and persecute me. Nobody, you know, no real suffering, really. I'm not suffering under blood. And I can't live for him now. And in the tribulation period, they're going to be looking for me to cut my head off because I didn't take the mark of the beast. I want me to buy and sell without the mark. That means possibly I will starve if God doesn't supply. And he can. Don't tell me you'll live for him then. 
When I started living for the Lord, I had a good friend of mine. Now I witnessed him and I talked to him about God. Tried to get him in the kingdom of God. And here's what he told me. He said, don't worry about me. He's a real tough kind of guy, you know. Kind of guy that just, you know, just for enjoyment, he'd walk by cars and just pop the, the, the windshield out. Just, just lunatic, crazy, but he, kind of a macho, tough kind of guy. You with me here? So I tried to win him to God. And he looked at me. He said, Jerry, don't worry about me. I said, well, what if you go in the tribulation period? Will you take the mark of the beast? Or will you get your head cut off? He said, don't worry about me. He said, I'll get my head cut off. And after he said that, I said, to, and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. He said, he, he won't do it. Because if he won't live for me now, he won't die for me then. It don't matter how macho or how tough he thinks he is. It's your relationship with God that matters. And to this very day, I don't think he's living for God. See, but the enemy loves to feed you with a lie. He loves to hook you, to take you into damnation in eternity. Make you think you're strong enough to not live for him now and to die for him then. It's a facade. It's a lie. Are you here tonight? So the fifth seal, we see martyrs, people who laid down their life for Christ, who are beheaded for him. And it's those people who are given the kittles. It's those people who are given the white robes of the overcomers. If you go to Matthew 13, Jesus, we've got about 20 minutes here. Jesus gives us a fifth kingdom parable, which falls into the same category as the church of Sardis. The Bible tells us in chapter 13 of Matthew, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm not trying to be heavy on you today. I'm just trying to bring the word to you in, in truth. We look in Matthew 13. Let me get the parable here. Verse 44, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy therefore goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Notice something about the church of Sardis. He said, there's some of you who have not defiled your garments, which means you haven't let sin in your life. He said, they walk with me, for they are worthy to walk with me. It's very interesting that Sardis was known for its garments. It was known for black wool garments all over the world. It was known for its wealth, its treasures. It was known for its eye salve to heal disease of the eye. Three main things, its wealth, its wool, its eye salve. Watch the garments, he said to some of them that overcome. He said their garments have not been soiled with sin. He's telling some to watch, put eyes have on. 
heal your eyes heal your spiritual vision and then he goes over here in this fifth parable he talks about a treasure and Sardis of course thought man we're wealthy but the Lord said I said Lord I said how does this fifth parable speak to me about the fifth church and he said because that church was a wealthy church but he said the true treasure is my kingdom The true treasure is my kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he goes and sells everything he's got. And he then goes and buys the field that's got the treasure in it. The kingdom of heaven is what should be your focus. Even if it costs you everything, if it costs you your life, if it costs everything you got, the kingdom of heaven is worth it because it is the true treasure in this life. That's the key that unlocks this parable. Jesus saw the treasure in the field the field is the world and Jesus gave everything he had to purchase the treasure in the field in Exodus 19 verse 5 Israel is called his peculiar treasure and he was willing to lay down his very life to purchase Israel so that natural Israel could become spiritual Israel you know who true Israel is you know who true Israel is True Israel is Israel who have been born again. Jesus died for natural Israel so that they just, just wouldn't be carnal. So that they didn't, just wouldn't have a religious uh, you know, type of relationship with him. A ritual type of thing. A reputation of walking with him. He died for Israel to make them true Israel. And he died for you, church, that you could be a true spiritual seed of God, not just a professing religion, not just a professing Christian, but somebody who's really the seed of God, somebody who's really born again. Because not everybody that is Israel is Israel. And not everybody that is in the church is the church. in the professing church world all over the place there are is the true churches inside of it in natural Israel within natural Israel there is the true Israel of God within inside of it true Israel is Israel in Christianity and Jesus saw them as the treasure in the world and he was willing to die for the treasure in the world and he was willing to also the Bible talks about the pearl of great price the next parable he was willing to pay it all now listen to me church let me bring some practical application to you he was willing to go all the way to purchase Israel and us to make us true seed of God true spiritual seed of God not just professors. But in practical application, if you find a treasure in your world, 
Is it worth everything you've got? If it's the true treasure. Is the kingdom of heaven worth laying down your life for? Or do you want your own life? Are you willing to lay down your life now? Or are you willing to lay your life down then? To have the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Are y'all hearing me today? I'm asking you a question. Can you respond? See, here's the thing I want you to see. Is that when the man found the field, or that field there, and he found the treasure in the field, just knowing that the treasure was in the field didn't make it his. He had to go sell everything he had, thanks, and buy the field to get the treasure. There's a lot of people, man, they know that the kingdom of heaven, yeah, kingdom of God, that's the treasure. They know that what's important. They know what should be the priority. They know it, but they're just not willing to sell out. They're not willing to sell out for Christ. They love their flesh. They love the world. They love the, what the devil offers them. And they know how awesome the kingdom is. But the price is too great. So just knowing about the treasure doesn't mean you're going to get the treasure. The only way this man ended up with the treasure is because he was willing to sell out. He was willing to pay the price and buy the field that the treasure was in. And then he got the treasure. See, people want a Christianity. They want a... An easy believism Christianity. That's the church of Sardis. An easy believism Christianity. A Christianity that doesn't cost you anything. A Christianity that doesn't ask anything from you. And I'll tell you right where we are. I'll tell you the gauge that gauges the whole thing. If that man was willing to sell everything he got had for the treasure in the field. I'll tell you what will gauge our hearts. When a pastor gets up and asks for tithes and offerings. If that bothers you. You're sold out to the devil. You've sold out to your flesh. Because when you understand how awesome it is to be a part of God's kingdom and what he's doing. For you to be able to, to invest in that kingdom of God, into that treasure. You understand that it's the most important thing there is. And if you don't bring your tithes and your offerings today, can I tell you what you're going to do in the tribulation? You're going to take the mark. It, I'm telling you. If you don't bring your tithes and offerings to God today, you will take the mark of the beast in the tribulation period because you have sold yourself to mammon. You mark it down. If God is not important enough in your life to cost you something, then you're not willing to buy the treasure in the field. And I'm not trying to tell you you can buy your salvation. He bought your salvation for you. What I'm talking to you about is your commitment. And that's what he's talking to this church about. Their commitment, their relationship, their walk. And he said, I got some who are overcomers who are going to even die for, for the kingdom. Doesn't mean they died for their own salvation. But they had to die to be faithful to that other kingdom. And so this is beautiful. See, I, I've looked at that parable and tried to put that over on that fifth church. And I didn't really understand. Why would God talk about a field with a treasure or anything? Talk about Sardis over here. 
if I understand the conflict in that church. And the conflict in that church was easy believism. Not willing to pay the price for the kingdom. Wake up, church. I'm just going to tell you like it is. It's going to cost you to live for him. You can't buy your salvation. You can't pay that kind of price. Only who could pay that kind of price. But it's going to cost you to stay in the kingdom. What I mean by that, to serve him faithfully, you might have to lay down your life ultimately. And if your life is more important to you than the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, you will not endure what's going to take place. If we're in the age of the tribulation. Are you here today? Is this helping anybody? You know, sometimes we need, we need somebody just a lot of fire underneath us. We need the Word of God to come in a lot of fire underneath us. And to show us the Word of God and the truth of God. To see in the mirror say, you know what, man? I've got a reputation. I'm alive, but I'm dead. I can talk a good talk. But I don't have a walk. I can act real good. But my act is not going to line up with what's required. Come on, somebody. That's why the Lord sometimes requires of us things till it hurts. I said it hurts sometimes. It hurts sometimes to, to stay faithful. It hurts sometimes to keep preaching. It hurts sometimes to keep giving. It hurts sometimes, but he never said it wouldn't hurt. He never promised you. Oh, there's that song. He never promised you a rose garden. He did promise you this, death possibly. So if you want easy believism and easy Christianity, it's not going to cost you anything, then you are in the church of Sardis. It's who you are. How many of y'all love the Lord today? Woo! How many of you have gone through some suffering, gone through some pain, and gone through some hurt to be faithful? God bless you! We're not supposed to go through this Christian walk unscathed by pain. Gonna cost us something, man. I'm gonna be honest with you. You know, sometimes I get this voice talking to me. Man, aren't you tired of hurting? Aren't you tired of going through the pain? Aren't you tired of suffering? Yeah, I get tired of it. But you know what? The price is too great for me to stop. It's costing. It's costing to continue. But you know what? The price is much greater to give up. I'll lose my kids. I'll lose my wife. I'll lose my walk. I'll lose my salvation if I quit. The price is too great for me to quit. But the devil comes. Oh, you know what? If you quit, you won't have to have that pressure. You won't have to hurt anymore. You lying devil. Get thee behind me, Satan. It'll cost me more to quit. 
It cost that man more if he would have said, well, I think I'll hold on to what I got. I know the treasure's in the field, but I'm just going to hold on to what I got, you know, and I'm not willing to sell out. It would have cost him more. But when he sold out, he got the treasure. And so he got more than he gave up. And remember that no matter how much you're hurting, no matter what you give up, no matter what it's cost you, you've received a lot more than you could ever begin to imagine. You are the blessed one. They might take you and cut your head off and martyr you, but you're the one that they're just releasing freedom forever and ever. You are the one who is eternally blessed. So we have received so much more than we've ever been required to give. And so that's how that parable plays out over that according to the Holy Ghost. He was willing to lay down his life. He went all the way for Israel and for you. Because he looked at you as a beautiful treasure. He looked at me as a beautiful treasure. He was willing to give everything, everything. And die a cruel death on a cross, the finished work, to save us. And now sometimes we go through life. And this Christianity may be taking too much of our time, too much of our effort, too much of our money, too much of our life. It is our life. How can it take from us what should already be? It should be our life. We shouldn't be looking at it like, well, that's taking too much of my time, too much of my effort, too much of my sacrifice. That's just taking too much of me. How can it take too much of me when it should be my very life? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost Church. I feel God in this house stirring us and shaking us and talking to us. The price is too great not to sell out for the treasure that's in the field. And yes, it's going to be painful. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, it's going to be difficult. But you are blessed beyond measure. To be called the sons of the living God. To be called the bride of Christ. To be clothed with the, with the garments of righteousness. To be clothed with a wedding garment. You are blessed beyond measure. It will cost you your life. You must lay down your life for his sake. But in doing so you gain eternal life. You can't, you can't even compare it. You can't compare 70, 80 years physical life here being laid down for millions and billions and billions and billions and billions of years with Christ. You can't even compare it. It's not even the equation. And for us to get stingy with our time and stingy with our giving and stingy with our all that stuff, all that costs me too much. trying to show you the struggle that goes on in the flesh in the flesh and the world the world begs for you your flesh screams for you over oh, relationships friendships have a time time us a part of us, of us run us what a yeah oh yeah what a lie 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 that
They are born of the water. They are alive unto God. And they are moving. But that's not all. He says. He says. He goes on. He says. And the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every wing. Look. Wow. He says. They don't. Okay. Verse 20, God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. He said, now we've got water creatures and we've got air creatures. Those that are born again of the water and the spirit. They are the true seed of the heavens. And these are people who move. In the elements of the water and the spirit. They've been immersed in baptism. Waters have immersed them in baptism. They've moved in the water and they move in the spirit. They move in the air. They fly in the firmament of above. They're not just earthly creatures. They're not just carnal people. But they are heavenly, spiritual minded people. Who move in the waters of glory. They've been willing to sell out and lay it all down on the line in order to move and operate in the kingdom of heaven. Are you with me today? Oh, come on now. That's better than that. The way you're acting right now is not conducive with what you just heard. I'm talking about people who have been born again of the water and the spirit. I'm looking at some of you. You're moving in the spirit realm. You move in the glory of God. You talk about a treasure. You talk about something awesome. You talk about something powerful. And you're willing to sell that? You're willing to let the earth be your dominion? The carnality? The carnal be your operation of movement? No. The waters and the air the waters and the spirit the true seed of God versus the earthly natural seed is seen there and also if you'll notice this on the fifth day this is the first time you have living creatures which means this this is the first day you have carriers of the blood Before you've got life, you've got vegetation, you've got angelic life. But now you come to a day, the fifth day of creation. And we have creatures in the waters and creatures in the air. And all of them are living by blood. So it speaks to you of a people who walk in the finished work of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Who've been born of the water and the spirit. They are alive unto God. They have spiritual life by the blood. And by the new birth. So the first time we see. Life is on the fifth day. As far as physical life. The creatures with blood. Give God some praise. And so then he goes on. And he says. Not only that. But he says. And. God, oh, whoops, let me go up there. He said, verse 22, and God blessed them and saying, you are blessed. 
you're blessed saying he says be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth what's in the heavens needs to be brought into the earth but the earth should not move into the kingdom of the spiritual you're supposed to operate in the world but the world's supposed to not operate in you do you understand come on man don't just have a name a reputation be that people that move in the waters, that move in the heaven, the air, the spirit. Who are carriers of the blood. Who are fruitful and multiplying, replenishing the earth with spiritual seed all over the place. Is everybody alright? Now, in saying that, you will notice... That the fifth seal, people are willing to operate in the spirit dimension instead of the earth dimension, willing to die. Or for the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual dimension, spiritual realm that operates and moves in this earth realm. But the earth realm is not supposed to capture you. You're supposed to be able to fly above it. And those people laid down their life in the fifth seal. And if you look at the fifth day, when Jesus comes on this earth, and you look at the day he died on Wednesday, he was buried on Thursday. That's the fifth day of the week. And isn't it interesting that in Matthew chapter 12 that he talks about his burial being likened unto Jonah which was swallowed into the belly of the fish. The fowls of the water. And he went down, down, down in death. Before to reach the dead fallen man, Adam. To bring him back up. In the spiritual regeneration. When did that happen? At the resurrection. Jesus come out of the great fish. The heart of the earth. And rose on the third day. And so we have the parallel again. The fifth day. And not only that. But if you keep looking at all the fives. Jesus died at the end of the fourth day. The finished work. But it's the fifth day. The beginning of the fifth day. That he pours out his spirit. It is he who has the seven spirits of God. It's in the fifth church that he says that. And it's the fifth day, fifth millennium that his spirit is poured out and the church is born. Give God some praise. And so here's the good news today. Is you don't have to settle for a Sardis type experience you can escape from that you can escape from the Catholicism that some of you already have and you can move away from just the Protestant profession that many have today and you can be people who are the true spiritual seed of God a part of the kingdom of heaven a people who are willing to sell everything they had to buy that treasure in the field called the kingdom of heaven a people who move and operate in the spirit dimension a people who fly above the earth a people who move in the waters a people who operate in the kingdom reproducing like species 
spiritual seed in the earth. And understand that Jesus fulfilled all of that for you. Every bit of it. If I had time, we could look at the life of Jesus. And I assure you, He fulfilled every one of the days of creation. Every one of them, including the fifth day. He was tempted to give in to the earth realm. The devil came and offered him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Jesus looked at the devil and said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. And him only shalt thou serve. Who are you serving this morning? Are you just talking the talk? Or are you walking the walk? You can walk the walk. You can. We all can repent. God has promised you. He said, I'll give you a white robe. He'll give it to you now in the spirit. But ultimately, he gives it to you in Revelation 19. There is a beautiful bride. The Bible says, given unto her beautiful garments, white garments. And he calls them the righteousnesses of the saints. It's not imputed righteousness that he gave you. It's the righteousnesses, plural, of the saints that make up the beautiful garment. Are you understanding today? That your willingness to sell everything you got to serve the Lord, to sell out and to walk with Jesus in the Spirit. Every time you serve Him, everything that you do, you know what He does? He takes a stitch, symbolically. It's a spiritual clothing, I know that. It's a glory. It's a dimension of glory we're talking about. He takes that stitch and He sews one more thread into that beautiful garment. It's the righteousnesses of the saints. You're making your own wedding garment. You're making your own wedding garment. And the last thing I need to tell you is the feast. Because there's seven feasts. And in these parables here, it's very interesting to me that when Jesus died and he was buried on the 15th day. The 15th day when he was buried, that's a picture of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's also a picture of what's going to come in the future when he comes to remove leaven out of Israel and the church in the tribulation period. But what's interesting to me is this, is that Jesus shows us the finished work, the price that was paid for the kingdom of heaven in this church. He then shows us the importance to have the power of Pentecost in the church. So the cross and then the power, the spirit. And then he says to everybody who has that and continues to move in the kingdom. He said, then I'll give you a white robe. And that speaks of the throne room intimacy. So you have Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. 
And really it's alluded to in every church. Are you here today? It's up to us to overcome. It's my responsibility to overcome. In Jesus' awesome name. How many of y'all love him today? Let's stand and pray. Father God, I just give you the glory, the honor, the praise today. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would take the word, God, that has been delivered in this house. And that you will stir us and you will shake us, Lord Jesus, to watch and to pray. To understand this awesome high calling that you called us to. Helping us to understand that we can never get like Sardis. That we must always be on the watch and on the guard because our pride and our egos and our flesh. The world. The devil. I thank you today, Father, that you've given us power to overcome all of it. All I can do this morning, Jesus, is pray for this church. And I pray the bits and the pieces that I was able to, to, to cover this morning will grip their hearts with a desire to be like the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air, multiplying and replenishing the kingdom of heaven, willing to pay the price willing to watch to be on guard to strengthen what remains to go all the way not just part of the way but to be perfect to be complete to go all the way to go all the way pray this prayer with me say Lord Jesus I want to go all the way not part of the way not part of my life but all of my life. I want to lay down my life now, Lord, upon the cross in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, the glory of God that I operate in. I'm so blessed. I'm so thankful. What a privilege it is to serve you, Jesus. Would you just love him right now and just praise him? Lord. Father, I don't feel worthy to have preached this message this morning. But I need every word, God. I need every word. Yes, Lord, stir up this morning. Stir up this morning. People in this church who feel like they're okay. Everything's all right. Everything's wonderful. Stir us up in this house this morning. Shake us, God, by your awesome word. We may go all the way with you, Lord. All the way. Laying down our lives, knowing, Lord Jesus, that we will receive it. We lay down our life, God. You will give it back to us again. Give us our life, true life, true spiritual life.
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, you can turn the cameras off you already have. Okay.